Welcome to Let the Boys Kiss, the creation of queer ships, where we ask the question, is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? This week, we'll be discussing Steve and Danny from the CBS reboot of Hawaii Five-0. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey. So Hawaii Five O, how have we found ourselves in this situation? Not really a show a lot of people our age are watching, unless they're in the shipping community, because that is how I found out about it. Okay. I will I will say I'm the reason we're doing this episode. Kelsey had not seen it before we prepared for this. Yes, this is another one of our classic, Maddie gives me a handful of episodes to watch and I try to piece things together. So this series, as I said, I found out about because of Tumblr. It's one of those things where you're hanging out on Tumblr, you're looking at your whatever you're normally looking at, and then someone you follow all of a sudden is posting GIF sets of like, some new relationship you've never seen before and you're like what in the world is this it's a cbs police procedural i must watch it how much of this show have you seen so you had me watch 10 episodes which this is a long-running show this show is 10 seasons so proportionally not a lot of the show i have seen more than that though i have not seen all of it i've seen probably the majority of the first six or seven seasons something it, it becomes fuzzy to me because there are actor changes that we will mm-hmm. talk about a little bit more later i've seen a fair amount of the show i have not seen all 10 seasons and i like you had to watch the series finale basically out of context of right. anything that happened so we're both piecing that together but i guess let's talk a little bit about the history of the relationship in the show and just go over a uh, a not small sample of like moments and plot lines that support the ship. Right. I think it's it's worth saying because this is mm-hmm. a procedural, moments are spiced into a lot of the episodes, which is fine. But yeah, it makes creating a watch list for me difficult because you might have an episode. Yes, there's this great small moment, but is it worth me watching yeah. the whole episode for that? And what I wish there had been, but I was not able to find, were like really good moment compilations for the two of them. I think that the fandom is like maybe just not big enough mm-hmm. for that or something. But yeah, their relationship is comprised mainly of fun moments. But then I couldn't find good sets of that. So I gave you episodes that focused heavily on their relationship. But what we found through discussion of it is that that meant you kind of didn't get a good sense of their normal dynamic of the show because a lot of the episodes that are focused heavily on their relationship, they're kind of not even doing casework. It's like the two of them will go off somewhere together and then the rest of the people who work for 5.0 are handling a case and the two of them are just on vacation together. (laughs) Yeah, the the sample of the show I saw, they don't seem to do much police work and it's Daniel Day Kim and Grace Park who are doing everything because they're on vacation or trapped in a building or... Yeah, something else. I guess I'll give a teeny bit of like the premise of the show. The pilot episode is like Steve is a Navy SEAL. He is working some sort of uh, secret case where they have this guy in custody. And then that guy's brother basically kidnaps his father, calls to try to get his own brother released. Things go south. The brother dies. He kills Steve's father. Steve has to come back to Hawaii, which is where he grew up, to sort of deal with his dead father and trying to find the guy who killed him. And while he's there, the governor of Hawaii 
decides to tempt him away from the seals to start a new task force on the island called Hawaii Five-0. And basically she offers him, she calls it immunity and means, but basically the the premise is well, you should start a cop group where you can do literally anything you want and you won't get in trouble for it. Right. It's like dark times when you think about where we are in the world. I was saying to you, like I, I enjoyed the elements of their relationship for sure, but I, I was not happy with how often they were punching people they were holding. They violate people's (laughs) civil rights every episode multiple times. And I was also very troubled by the fact that their interrogation room didn't have a table. It was weird. It's just a chair, like, chained to the floor. It makes it easier for them to punch the guy. Exactly. It's harder to punch when you have to go around a table. Yeah, it was was troubling to watch. But anyway, so he's on Hawaii. He starts this task force. He's investigating his dad's death. The cop from the Hawaii PD who's in charge of investigating the dad's death is Danny Williams, who is a transplant from New Jersey. He has moved to Hawaii because his ex-wife moved here with her new husband and brought their daughter with her. So he moved to be close to her. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as they meet, they hate each other immediately. Classic enemies to friends to lover situation on this show. And Steve decides, since he has the power of the governor on his side, that he's just going to steal Danny from the Hawaii Police Department, make him his partner, and he's forced to work the case with him. (laughs) And Danny hates it. So anyway, they sort of needle each other back and forth. Steve gets Danny shot basically on their first day together. Danny's really pissed about it. Steve's like, I don't understand why you're mad because he's Steve. <laughs> but eventually, you know, they find common ground. They work well together. They're both really smart and they care about their jobs and it works out. Yeah. So I could have done this labor myself, but I decided to rely on the wonderful internet. And we found this incredible Tumblr post by Tumblr user 5wow, where they have listed just off of the top of their head, tons and tons of like plot lines and moments that happen on the show. So I've sorted them a little bit. So in this category that I'm calling saving each other, (laughs) here are some things that happen. Danny goes to jail and almost dies in Colombia to keep Steve from getting arrested. So Steve rescues him. Steve gets kidnapped seemingly almost all the time. He gets, he goes to North Korea on his own secret mission and gets kidnapped. So Danny has to bring the team to North Korea to rescue him. It's very dramatic. He again is off on his own case gets kidnapped and almost dies in Afghanistan. So Danny has to go to Afghanistan. Steve gets kidnapped and almost dies in Hawaii. Danny rescues him. But anyway, they're kidnapped and rescued by each other constantly. In a similar vein, what I'm calling near-death experiences, there's a thing where Danny almost dies, has this hallucinated future. This is a theme on this show, by the way. There are a ton of episodes where one of them either hallucinates or dreams or where they're imagining their future. And of course, their future is always together. There's a time when they both almost die under a collapsed building. And Steve tells Danny that he loves him for the first time. And then when they get out from under the collapsed building, Danny's girlfriend and daughter are there. And he says to them, no joke. Can I get a moment with Steve? They go away. And he tells Steve that he loves him in return. There's a time when they're on this boat and they've been I think poisoned it's hard to keep all track of all Mm -hmm. of it they're both gonna die of this poison unless someone comes to rescue them in time with the antidote or whatever and they are just sort of sitting together and this is also a thing that happens a lot on the show they're probably about to die one of them says to the other something like Danny I gotta tell you something or like I I just want to say like they want to have this goodbye you know moment and then the other one the other one will be like no like don't say anything because you know 
that means we're actually going to die. Like that sort of thing. Right. That sort of stuff happens all the time when they're in near-death situations. In a category I'm calling Danny worries about Steve. Steve gets mortally wounded. They get shot when they're flying this plane and he almost dies. Danny has to land the plane, which he's never flown a plane before. They get Steve to the hospital. Turns out Steve needs a liver and Danny happens to be his match. And Danny immediately is like, let's not waste time testing people. I'm a match. Take my liver. (laughs) So, of course, the two of them are bonded forever because they're sharing a liver. Steve has all these health issues later Mm -hmm. on in the show. And it gets to a point where Danny is really worried about his health and the fact that it doesn't seem like Steve is taking his health seriously. So there's this episode where he organizes an intervention and hires a stress counselor (laughs) to come follow them around for a day. And she ends up deciding that a lot of Steve's stress comes from Danny because they bicker so much. And Danny starts to not argue with him about stuff he would normally argue with him about. And then at the end, Steve pulls him aside to be like, don't ever change, Dano. I love you the way you are. We have a bunch of more domestic type moments that fuel the McDano shipping. My first category I'm calling mistaken for a couple. This is a thing that happens to them all the time for many reasons. Um, First of all, Steve is often called babe by Danny and then occasionally will return it. They also say they love each other all the time. Once they, you know, break the seal in the collapsing building episode and have each said they love each other, it's not a thing that goes away. They say it all the time. They say it like in passing. They'll have some little bickery argument and then they turn and walk away from each other. And one of them's like, love you. Love you too, babe. (laughs) So that's near constant, the I love yous. Also something that they do all the time is they cuddle on the couch together. They're always sitting right up against each other when they're going to like watch a movie or something. And Steve puts his arm around Danny. And both times that Steve is putting his arm around Danny, his girlfriend is on the couch with them. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't realize that. So there's one where Catherine, who we'll talk about later, is there. And it's Steve and Catherine and Danny and Danny's daughter. And the way that they sit on the couch is... Catherine sits on one end next to Danny's daughter. Steve sits on the other end with his arm around Danny. <laughs> and then we'll we'll reblog this on Tumblr, but we found a great GIF set of them actually being mistaken for a couple or at least like joked about. So there's yes. all the time the two of them will be bickering on a case and then like either someone they work with or even a criminal is like, how long have you guys been married? <laughs> Just like, that's a recurring joke for them. There's one where Steve's talking to Danny on the phone while he's doing some business and the guy that he's with is like you talking to your wife and he's like no i'm talking to my partner i'm sure he assumed that meant his romantic partner yeah in another section i'm calling somewhat facetiously dates Mm -hmm. the two of them often find themselves in these situations where they're hanging out on their own doing something for fun just because they like to hang out together and then magically crimes happen (laughs) and so the work is drawn into it more date-like dates are the one where they end up doing the couples therapy for the whole weekend there's one where they each have girlfriends it's valentine's day their girlfriends have planned special valentine's day dates for them But of course, they're in cahoots and have planned for them all to be in these adjoining suites at the same hotel. But of course, Danny goes crazy, finds this child that he hates at the resort (laughs) and is convinced the kid has stolen his sunglasses and spends the entire episode dragging Steve into his attempt to investigate this child's theft of his sunglasses. I don't even know if he's dragging Steve so much as he goes off and Steve is like, I gotta be with Danny and deal with him. 
Danny is like avoiding his girlfriend for whatever reason and investigating this kid. And then Steve keeps being like, oh, I, I should probably go after Danny. And then their girlfriends spend the whole weekend together. And the two of them spend their whole weekend together. And then at the end of that episode, they're having a romantic dinner on the beach, but mm-hmm. they're both sitting across from their girlfriend. Yeah. The women sit on one side. They sit on the other side. Steve has his arm around Danny as he always does. And he's stroking his neck. Yes. He's stroking his neck and ear. And you're like, why is this so intimate? So yes, dates. In a similar vein, in my meet the family section, every time one of their relatives appears on the island, they make pains to introduce that person to the other one. So like Danny's Mm -hmm. sister comes to town and Danny introduces her to Steve, but he does not introduce her to his girlfriend at the time or any of the other people from the 5-0. Danny's mom comes to town. He introduces her to Steve, but not to his girlfriend or anybody else. And then in a category, or my final category, I'm calling Uncle Steve, which is just about this very close relationship the two of them have, as evidenced by the way that Steve interacts with Danny's first daughter and then eventual children, because there is a son that comes about later. Steve and Danny both coach Grace's his daughter's baseball team together. Steve and Danny both go on Grace's Girl Scouts trip as like counselors together. Mm-hmm. It's another Valentine's Day and Danny gets a text from his girlfriend while he's spending it with Steve. That happens a lot. <laughs> but anytime one of them has a girlfriend, they're like not really in the show a ton. And so they're always with each other and then being like, oh yeah, my girlfriend texted me or my girlfriend said this. And you're like, you still have a girlfriend? When Charlie, who's the son, the episode is framed around him telling his son a bedtime story. And the bedtime story is about Steve catching this criminal. So you're hearing the case through that. And then it's Christmas. So at the end of the night, Steve just breaks into Danny's house and is there eating his cookies. And there's a Steve stocking with the with the stockings for the family. Isn't that nice? That's cute. And then there's an episode where they're trying to work on Charlie's room, like decorating it in Danny's house. And Danny gets called away to work on a case. So Steve stays and he finishes the room for Charlie. And then when he's like tucking, Steve's tucking Charlie into bed at night and he tells him that it was like all Dano and Dano's or Charlie says Dano's the best. And Steve's like, he is the greatest. (laughs) It's a sweet family moment. That's very cute. So that is, again, a non-comprehensive list of the many McDaniel moments of the show. There are tons more. The evidence is overwhelming. But I feel we should move to the finale, the the interesting (laughs) finale, which you can speak more to because you've seen it as have I. So what are your impressions? So again, right, for fans of the show and for context, I only watched 10 episodes of the show. So keep that in mind. Yeah. But just like structurally as like what a finale should do. And I also understand, right, there was some like question about whether or not the show is continuing. Yeah, the the, the it, sh- it is, should be said that when they wrote the finale, it they had not been canceled yet. So it was potentially not going to be the series finale, though I believe they did know that it was going to be Alex O'Loughlin, who is Steve's last episode. So at the very least, it is like a was meant to be a farewell for Steve. I found the finale to be very strange on multiple levels. (laughs) Do tell. Okay. I also understand that Scott Kahn was sort of in and out for the last couple of seasons and had fewer episodes. Mm -hmm. 
And I don't quite know what the scheduling issues were, but it would make sense to me that for your finale send off for your your main character, and this is another thing we didn't talk about when we when I watched the episodes, I asked you, you know, in my mind this was a two hander, mm-hmm. but you were saying no, Scott is really from the writer's perspective seemingly the main character, which is fine. Steve, yes, I'm constantly calling Steve Scott. I knew this was going to be an issue, <laughs> but yeah, I think maybe in the beginning it was more of a two hander, but then yeah, as we said. Scott Scott Kahn started mm-hmm. to sort of step away from the show and I think things shifted to be a more Steve focused and potentially in the mind of the creator he was like not super happy about Scott Kahn stepping away so questionable things happened with how they handled Danny's character being in and out but yeah so I, I would say by the end not as much of a two-hander as it started as. Right, but we've established that Danny is very important in Steve's life. So it would oh, seem that to me be more clear. If I were making predictions about the finale, it would be Danny and Steve having a final hurrah together. Like they would be solving this case together, which is tied to Steve's mother, which I don't understand everything that's going on with that, but it's not important. Mm-hmm. Danny is barely in the finale. Like he gets kidnapped and very much injured and there's there is a sweet moment where, you know, Steve has Danny in the back of the car and he's cradling him and then when Danny's potentially dying you know Steve's like take me not him just yeah. don't don't let him die so first bit of weirdness for me was Danny is barely in this episode with Steve yeah. it would seem to me also again knowing that Danny is the most important person in Steve's life that if the ending of the show is that Steve is going to go off and leave the island which another a whole question there like why you would do that the final scene would be between him and Danny, right? That would be the emotional send-off. Yeah, because in your mind and mine, when people are doing, like, saying goodbyes to a bunch of people on television and in real life, yes. when you're saying goodbyes to a bunch of people, you sort of get the, like, less important relationships out of the way, and then you build up to what is the most important relationship at the end. They get the final goodbye. What actually happens in the show? What happens in the show is the goodbye to Danny, who has also been in the hospital and is still like really injured, comes first. Yeah. So they're on their beach chairs that are their special place with each other. And Steve comes out and Danny's basically like, you finished packing? And Steve's like, yep, on my way out. And they sit and have like a couple minutes of conversation about basically the beats of their conversation are... Danny is not happy that Steve is leaving and he tries to convince him to stay in Hawaii. And Steve's like, you know, just can't do it. Like, gotta go get my head on straight or whatever his reason for wanting to leave is. And then he says to comfort him, it's not a final goodbye or something. And Danny's like, of course, it's it better not be like, why would you even bring that up? And then Steve just sort of awkwardly like looks away. Right. (laughs) (laughs) they hug Steve walks away from him on this beach chair by himself injured with no one to take care of him and he turns back one final time to look at Danny on the chair before he walks into his house yeah okay so that should be the end of the episode if we're doing this right right but it's not then he goes inside his house and says goodbye to a dog. And I was like, is that your dog? Why can't you take your dog with you wherever you're going? Why are you leaving this dog? That's a huge question I also have about why he had to leave his dog. Because I don't understand where he's going. Um, no one knows. And I hadn't seen the dog before. So I didn't quite know whose dog it was. But I was like, that better not be your dog. Because take your dog with you. 
guy. It okay. is his dog, but he's leaving it with Danny. Now Danny, alone with no one to take care of him in his recovery, now has to take care of Steve's dog. And then everyone from the 5-0 shows up at his front door and they they it's very surreal. They cycle in one by one and say something meaningful to him about, you know, how he changed their life. And so, you know, those are emotional. Some of the actors have been on the show for a very long time. So Shai McBride has been there for a long time. And you're like, yeah, okay, I get it. But still, weird that it comes after his goodbye to Danny. Yes. Who, oh, we didn't even mention earlier in this episode, you were saying Danny has been portrayed as like very important to Steve. In the episode when Danny is kidnapped, the person who kidnapped him calls Steve and says to him, we have the person you care most about in the world. That is the framing of the show, that Danny is the most important, the person you care most about in the world to Steve. Yes. Okay, so he says his goodbyes to the rest of the 5-0. It's, it's, it's weird that happens ever. He leaves his dog, and then he gets on a plane to go once again somewhere, apparently somewhere you, you can't bring a dog. <laughs> right. I always frame it as his, like, eat, pray, love trip. That's what yeah. I assume he's going to do. He gets a text from Danny that says, I miss you already. And yeah. he smiles at his text from Danny. And then... And then a woman comes up and she says, is this seat taken? And I'm like, that's not how planes work. This isn't a Southwest <laughs> flight. <laughs> you how did she arrange the seat next to him? It doesn't make any sense. Apparently. So... This, this character is in at least one of the episodes that I did watch, but I did not remember her. And it's Catherine, who we'll, I guess we'll talk a little bit about in a second. <laughs> and the implication is that they are, they're back together. They were together before. Well, but they're not. The implication is not that they have gotten back together off screen and we just haven't right. seen it. But yeah, the the implications they're they're going to get back together, I guess. They hold hands as the plane is about to take off and it's like uh, okay. <laughs> so, like I said, I have several questions. One, yeah. where is he going? Why can't he take his dog? But I also have a theory about It's an amazing <laughs> theory, guys. It's going to bring everything together for you. I I've, I've totally adopted it. The only way this finale makes sense to me from the way the last scene plays where she oh she says to him are you ready to go and he says yes and then they hold hands right to the surrealness of the like the way all the members of 5-0 file through his house one by one and he says his, his meaningful goodbyes is he is in a coma and it's like one of those coma episodes where really what the character needs to do is tell everyone he's not ready to go and he he needs to get back to being and alive. that's how he would wake up yeah right but instead he says yes, and he's dead at the end. When he says, are, when she says, are you ready to go? And he says yes. He's agreeing in his coma episode yeah, to die. To it's go. Like and, and then reading it that way, like, it's so sad because there's that scene with Danny where Danny is, like, basically saying, come back to me. Like, don't leave. Yeah. But he does. Yeah. <laughs> Steve's dead, guys. You hear, heard it here first. That's my theory. That's the way that the finale makes sense to me structurally. Otherwise, I'm like, this, I just have a lot of questions. So yeah, I'm with you with that theory. That's where we leave the show. That's the end. Steve is just going, presumably not forever, but unclear since you don't know where he's going or really why. Do, should we talk a little bit about Catherine more? I think we should. Because you really had to explain her to me. The way I contextualize her is that she kind of is 
like Steve was before the beginning of the show. So she's very tied to her work. Anytime the Navy calls and wants her to go somewhere, she says, you know, yes, she's mm-hmm. immediately on the plane to get out of there. And with with little regard to how it affects the people in her life. So there is a period where she works on 5-0, which is how they okay. keep her on the show. But if ever that is not the case, she's just sort of in and out of his life. And then there is a season where all out of the blue, Steve decides that he wants to get married. <laughs> and I, I guess when you decide you want to get married, he figures he should ask Catherine because even though they're like kind of together, it's still pretty tenuous. But before he can ask her to marry him, she gets another assignment and is like, peace, see ya. <laughs> and he never gets to ask. So she appears less and less as the seasons go on. I think she's probably in like one episode of season nine comes back for a case. Her only episode of season 10 is the finale. And I don't know how much she's mentioned in season 10. I know in the beginning of the finale episode, Steve has a conversation with someone about her and he calls her like the one that got away, which is interesting because as a viewer of the show, I think at a certain point, fans of the show became pretty tired of their dynamic. I think Alex O'Loughlin, the actor who plays Steve, felt similarly by the end about that storyline and how it had sort of played out. But that said, Peter Lenkov, the showrunner, clearly is a fan of her and keeps like always wants to bring her back. And from comments he makes later, always envisioned her being who Steve was with in the end of the show. So that does take us into what do the creators say and do? Mm-hmm. As we do, we always start with the actors. So tell me about Alex O'Loughlin and Scott Kahn. They say tons about this show all the time, don't they? So what was a little difficult for us is we definitely found people who said that they said things, but we couldn't find the things that they said. So we don't want to say that they said them definitively. We can't say that. Yeah. So neither of them have any sort of like social media, Twitter accounts or whatever, where they're interacting with fans. And Scott Kahn actually, by the last few seasons of the show, wasn't even doing like preseason press anymore. So the amount of on the record interview type stuff we have from them is fairly minimal. Anything we're getting from them is from an interview. It's not from them deciding to say something to a fan one time. So we don't get a ton. And and as you said, we did find lots of fans that said something to the effect that Scott and Alex had been supportive of the idea of McDano in the past, mm-hmm. whatever that means to you. What I found of them is that they seem pretty chummy in their interviews. They talk about how they hit it off and how they're such close friends and they love each other. You sort of can imagine a world in which someone brings this up to them and they're like, yeah, that's cool. Like, Right. We didn't find anything where they were like, ew, gross. No. Right. We, we and, just didn't find anything. And that sort of thing, when that happens, I feel like you know. But again, we could not find the actual quotes of them saying anything positive that people seemed to be referring to. But what we did find is Alice O'Loughlin giving a pretty definitive opinion about the Catherine and Steve relationship. Mm-hmm. So as I said, after he had almost proposed to her, she comes back when he's dating someone new. And this new person that he's dating named Lynn accidentally let slip to Catherine that Steve had almost proposed to her. I think she sort of assumes that she knew, but she did not. Mm -hmm. And then in the episode, Catherine brings up to Steve that she knows now about the almost proposal. And Steve says to her like, oh, wow, what would you have said? 
if I had asked? And she says she would have said yes. And then, as I said, she sort of fucks off to parts unknown <laughs> to, to go about her. And so they asked Alex O'Loughlin about this because I guess you could get the impression that him even asking what she would have said meant that he thinks they should still be together. Right. And so these people say, should fans of Steve's comparatively nascent romance with Lynn interpret his interest in Catherine's hypothetical proposal response as any kind of slight, a red flag? And Alex O'Loughlin says, absolutely not. No fucking way. O'Loughlin makes clear, adding that Catherine is not the one who got away, but the one who was not meant to be. As far as I'm concerned, he was just curious because for him to get serious with anyone else, really serious, if that's what happens, he needs closure closure on Catherine. And hearing her answer gives him that closure. He's like, okay, how ironic. I guess this just wasn't in the cards, you know? Yeah. So that's the O'Loughlin verdict on the Catherine and Steve relationship from a couple of seasons earlier or whatever, which makes it very interesting that in the finale, the character of Steve calls her the one that got away. When yes. Alex O'Loughlin has literally said the word, she's not the one that got away. <laughs> but obviously he's not the writer and the writers have their own opinions about things. They certainly do. Now, Alex O'Loughlin and Scott Kahn might not have social media, but the actress who plays Catherine, Michelle Borth, does. And I think it really is a cautionary tale. I'm like, maybe if you're famous, you shouldn't have Twitter. Yeah, man. It's it's only a problem. It's For her, there are probably certain fan interactions she maybe should not have had. She seems to be... I, I actually seemed to be. I, I feel like we did hear she's kind of toned down her Twitter usage in recent years. But mm-hmm. at the height of her Twitter usage, she was often finding herself in conflict with fans who potentially did not like her presence on the show. As we have said, there are lots of fans everywhere who whenever there's a female character on a show where they have a male ship, they do pretty horrendous things to the actress who plays the female That's true. character. Which obviously... We do not support. Yes. We are, and we don't know the full context. We right. weren't able to find like a, a write-up of exactly what I wish. Down. Why didn't anyone write an article about this? I don't know. Anyway, she is not one to mince words and has gotten into some pretty intense debates with yeah. fans on Twitter. And there was this weird situation that we couldn't make heads or tails of about this woman who was trying to run a fan site, I think about her, but it, yes. like something went... But then people said mean things on the fan site. And so she tried to get it shut down. And then she called the person who ran the fan site a heinous bitch. Which is so funny. And everyone (laughs) should bring that back. (laughs) And then things got, I think, where the fandom probably soured entirely on her is her getting in a fight with people about their, like, fan fiction writing. She said, I'm sorry, reality check. Having a Twitter account and writing, quote, fanfic does not make you a writer don't quit your day job oh wait right (laughs) which is like you just probably don't want to be getting into arguments with fans about their their fan production production yeah it's just never a good place to be but that said it's not all bad with michelle borth because somebody said something to her about McDano and how they secretly ship it. And she replied, I kind of secretly ship McDano too. If the show would ever dare to really go there, I'd be the first to champion it. <laughs> Which So that's you, nice. You go, Michelle Borth. <laughs> She's the only person from the entire show that we could find as being on record in favor of McDano. Which yeah. is hilarious. 
Here's where we would normally talk about writers and directors. In our case, that is going to be pretty much exclusively Peter Lankov, who is the creator and showrunner of Mm -hmm. Hawaii Five-0. But I think in this episode, we're going to save that for a discussion at the end about fan interactions with the creators of the show. So we will skip right ahead to Archive of Our Own, looking at the fan works. And in our ranking of ship stats, McDano is the number 45 on the list with about 11,750 fic. Pretty respectable. respectable. Yeah. Yeah. A, a top 50 ship for a show that's been going forever. So the most kudos fan fiction in their ship is called Love's a Battlefield, parenthetical. And the Navy did not train Steve for this shit by Cyrus is how I'm going to pronounce their name. Tell me about the fic. Slightly longer one again. Not super long, but no. like over 10,000 words. And the the fic is essentially Steve wants the rest of the team to get off his back about being single. So he pretends he has a boyfriend named Danny. And he's being forced to go to dinner with Kono's mother. <laughs> Right. And he needs to bring a man named Danny. So he just randomly yells out, he's somewhere in the street, Danny. And a person who perfectly matches the description he gave to his team is like, what? More and more details about this guy as he goes along. Where First, it's like, he's just named Danny. I don't want to tell you anything about him. And then he's like, he's a lot shorter than me. And he's blonde. And he's this. And he's like argumentative. And he just keeps naming all these qualities that are exactly the qualities of Danny. And then, yeah, he yells out, Danny. (laughs) And this perfect guy shows up. Uh, He has manifested Danny into existence. And he basically kidnaps Danny and takes him to this party and they hit it off immediately and then they are fucking and then he gets him to join the 5-0. So it's in some ways quite similar to the, the pilot in the sense that he like just forces this guy to join his team and now they're together. Yeah. But you know, more romantic and more sexual. Well, because it starts, it's an interesting twist where it's like if if you start their relationship in the context of a romantic one, then it all is obvious, even though the beats are the same and their dynamic is the same. Yeah. And so you're like, yeah, I mean, I guess it works. They, everybody buys it. I was trying to think through, right? The other fic we had that was a little bit longer was the Teen Wolf fic, right? Yeah. And obviously the Hannibal one we didn't read because that one was like hundreds of thousands. No, we read a short one. We didn't read the full fourth season of Hannibal. So we have a few examples of a slightly longer fic being the most kudos. And this one is also uh, more sexual than some of the other ones we've read. So the ones that I, if I remember correctly, have a sex scene in them are this one, Leverage, James Bond, Hannibal. Hannibal, yeah. Is that it? Off the top of my head. Okay, somewhere there. So I'm like, I don't I don't know what that all means. I don't know if like those four things maybe have a, an older audience. That could generally be. Generally than some of the, the other ones that we've we've done. But yeah, those, those are, that was my, as I'm, as we, if we were trying to work through like, do we see patterns? This one is, again, yeah. a slight deviation from short, fluffy, being the most kudos. And again, this is probably, right, a, a smaller fan base than marvel but what right is everything is a smaller fan base than marvel but interesting yeah we're, we're developing we're, we're getting more and more data points for our yes. eventual analysis 
But I guess that is it for the fic, and we can move on to what would normally be scholarly work. But I don't have particular scholarly work I want to talk about for this one. What I want to talk about is the idea of partners on television and the inherent romantic tension that comes with that. Right. So, like, partners in procedurals. Usually cop partners, but they could be cop-adjacent partners, too. Sometimes there's a consultant. Right. Oftentimes a consultant or like their PIs or whatever. So this this trend is what I will be calling buddy cops to will they, won't they. So back in the day of police procedurals, you almost exclusively had male-male partnerships that mm-hmm. were cops because, you know, cops are men. Everybody knows that. And then you did sort of have the occasional, like you had Cagney and Lacey, but again, that was female-female. Then there became this trend of... If you're going to have a procedural with like a two-hander procedural where you need partners, why not make it a man and a woman? How progressive and interesting. (laughs) But when we had that happen, almost all the time, it became a thing where that man and that woman were probably going to end up together. It was the will they or won't they relationship of the show. And going back to the most, you know, iconic whatever. Uh, relationship like this is moonlighting the thing that changed all of television and the way that people write this shit and how people write will they or won't they relationships that is a procedural will they or won't they they're they're private investigators working together and for the whole length of the show it's like their partners are they gonna get together maybe eventually and then they finally did and then you know the writing got bad or whatever. Right. <laughs> Since Moonlighting, we've had tons and tons of examples of these male-female partner relationships where they get together. So you got like your Mulder and Scully on X-Files, Booth and Bones on Bones, Castle and Beckett on Castle, even Sean and Jules on Psych, even though mm-hmm. I would say that the main relationship of that show is Sean and Gus. Peter and Olivia on Fringe, Jane and Lisbon on The Mentalist. Neither of us have seen The Mentalist. Nope. <laughs> Chuck and Sarah on Chuck. Remington Steel and Laura Holt. Again, haven't seen it, but how are we not going to talk about Remington Steel? Yeah. Um, Lucifer and Chloe on Lucifer, more recent example. Jake and Amy on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Just like tons and tons of these situations where you have male-female partners and it, the expectation of everyone watching is that the two of them are going to get together. Right. We would be remiss if we didn't include the many exceptions that prove the rule. The many it. exceptions? <laughs> The many. <laughs> okay. The few exceptions. So you got Benson and Stabler on SVU. Then you have like Sherlock and Joan on Elementary. Harding and Miller on Broadchurch. Yeah, you get into the occasional like maybe a man and a woman could be partners and not get together. But right. it is much more rare that that is the case. Yeah. And we've talked before, right, about like compulsory heteronormativity. And there is this sense right if a man and a woman have any kind of tension it must be sexual tension and it's like does it have to be whereas the flip side right is if a man and a man have tension it's not sexual it's impossible for it to be sexual (laughs) and it's like does it have to be and so generally if a man and a woman are cop partners and they're gonna bicker and have tension yeah the expectation is they're gonna end up together and you can see literally the same or more patterns in a male male mm-hmm. partnership and the writer can still be like but this woman who is in and out is endgame and you're like, right is she 
Yeah. So I just found myself thinking a lot about this sort of the special relationship of partners on TV and how people write that and, and how we like writers at this point have kind of been trained to write partners a certain way. So the mm-hmm. dynamic of cop partners or cop adjacent partners is usually, yeah, often there's a lot of bickering. Maybe they start not liking each other and end up liking each other. But at a certain point, it becomes the main relationship in the lives of these characters. It is always, by the end of the show, the most important relationship they have. They are used to putting their lives in each other's hands. The trust they have with each other is like so intense compared to the trust they have with everyone else. Mm -hmm. And they spend all of their time together. Like they're usually spending much more time with each other than any romantic partners the show might have for them. And a part of that is like, they're always kind of married to their work, right? Like, and they do a job that takes over their lives and they're doing that job together. So their relationship takes over their lives. But there are just these qualities that are, similar to all of these pairings where it becomes like I don't know if this is how it is to have a cop partner in real life but it seems really intense (laughs) on television you can't avoid it they are your family now that's how it is to have a cop cop partner and it does make sense when that is how you write them that the male and female versions at least are going to get together but then it makes less sense that you have these male male or female female partners who act the same way towards each other and clearly care about each other more than anyone else in their lives and spend all their time together and bicker like a married couple and, 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 and they're never going to get together. And it's like, what separates these things from each other other than it's CBS and they're two dudes. (laughs) Right. The thing with Steve and Danny is not only are they together at work intensely, they're choosing to spend a lot of their free time together which is not always the case in procedurals i find it very interesting how especially as the show goes on but from pretty early on we see them outside of work a lot and when they're outside of work they're together they're they're spending like tons of time together all the time there's not room in the show for them to have important relationships with anyone else i mean they have they have like the what they call Ohana, like family relationship with everyone on Five O, And they mm-hmm. very much are like, we all care about each other like family. We're here for each other, that sort of dynamic. But if they have a person, that person is each other. And whenever right. there's a romantic interest, it's sort of like, oh, is she still here? <laughs> like, yeah. They're not going on full Five O group vacations or no. full Five O therapy retreats. <laughs> if they're going to be with someone outside of work, it's going to be each other. And then occasionally they'll all like, have dinner together as a team at the end of the day and then occasionally they have girlfriends but even when they have girlfriends usually they're bringing each other into the storylines with the girlfriends right yeah so what's the deal here they seem in love to me but what what do i know what do you know what could you know in comparison to peter lakov showrunner (laughs) so yeah let's Let's get into Peter Lankoff. I think we do want to preface this section by acknowledging that Peter Lankoff turns out not a cool guy, just generally. Yeah, just generally, aside from Hawaii Five-0, apparently kind of a monster person. After Hawaii Five-0 ended, it became clear that he was fostering hostile work environments, basically, on all of his shows. So by the end of Hawaii Five-0, he's running Hawaii Five-0, but he also is executive producing MacGyver 
and Magnum PI, CBS is really like crushing the reboot game. A bunch of reboot shows set in Hawaii that he's in charge of. And it turns out people are not having a good time working on these shows. People allege that it's sort of like a boys club atmosphere. It's really hard for women to get ahead. He isn't making it a nice place for the people who work on the show. Lucas Till, who is, he's MacGyver, MacGyver right? Yeah, he's MacGyver. Um, had complained multiple times and took it to a bunch of people at the CBS leadership and HR that he was being harassed by Peter Lankov to the point where Peter Lankov is like body shaming him. And he yeah. felt suicidal during the filming of the first season, but he can't get anyone to listen to him about it. And so suffice it to say, Peter Lankov gets fired, which was a huge deal because he was like, one of the few executive producers on TV to have his own night of shows. It was like he was Mm -hmm. approaching Dick Wolf levels of success and he gets ousted totally like out of his deal at CBS, which was massive news, but it did sort of color the way that people thought about things that had gone down on Hawaii Five O earlier in its run, even though this happened after it ended. So another notable moment that involved him and the show is several seasons ago, Daniel Day Kim and Grace Park, who were, I'd call them kind of third and fourth on the call sheet, but I, you could view the show as like an ensemble of the four of them. Because yeah, and I think in promoting the show's diversity, yes. they were to a certain extent pitched as this is a co-lead show. We right. have two Asian people of Asian descent as the leads of the show with our two white guys, but it didn't 100%, show up yeah. in the page. <laughs> exactly. It became... Uh, evident that they were getting grossly underpaid compared to their white male colleagues and they asked for pay parity and were met with a resounding no thank you from CBS and the show and ended up quitting the show. Daniel Dickham and Grace Park together left the show in like a pretty I think cool move like yeah way to stand up for yourselves but yeah that takes on its own color uh, once you learn what Peter Lankov is like. And so just to sum it up in the article that came out after he got fired, we've got behind the scenes, sources allege Lankov would routine- routinely talk down to writers, particularly women and people of color. In one incident, he allegedly mocked a disabled fan and after a writer objected to his behavior, attempted to have her fired. Quote, he isn't racist or sexist or classist singularly. It's all of it. He's anti-woman, anti-POC, anti-gay, and everything you'd expect. But he'd also torture straight white men if he felt like it. And seemingly he did. Poor Lucas, too. (laughs) Sounds like a great guy. So that's the general background on Peter Lankov. Right. And I also want to say, I think, you know, when we were looking for sources, it was maybe a little more difficult because like if you Google anything about Peter Lankov, it's mostly about his firing at this point. Right. Um, So there could be more stuff out there that we just weren't able to to dig through and find. So we'll give you basically just like our impressions, the general vibe of how fans talk about him on Tumblr. So it feels like during the show, he engaged in his own little bit of queer baiting. He like we got some a tweet here where he is talking about maybe we revisit Steve and Dano in 25 years, both of them in their early 70s, retired from 5.0, start a PI firm. Danny has to drive because McGarrett's eyesight is bad, but he still takes over once in a while. Feel free to contribute to the fan fiction, he says. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he does that thing that writers do where they're like, people are talking about this? Please continue talking about it, (laughs) sort of thing. And he also seems to be pretty online, like very Twitter involved, which always leads to fights with fans. 
So he's got that going for him. And then as it was, when it was announced that the show was going to end, it, fans started to make it clear that they were worried about what was going to happen in the finale. And we we found an actual article called like Hawaii Five-0, McDaniel fans are heartbroken and worried about the series finale. Yeah. <laughs> so clearly it was out there. He was getting into interactions with people online. He starts to try to assure, reassure everyone that the ending's going to be great. Everyone's going to be happy. He says, I think the ending will be pleasing to all, but I am certain that some will certainly find something to complain about. And oh boy, did they, because how did fans react to the end of the show? I think they they weren't pleased. I don't know if you put this in the outline, but one of the comments we saw was, pleasing to who? Satan? (laughs) I love that. So it really made us laugh. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's like anything else. Some people were like, I thought it was fine or great, but it seemed like the consensus was Steve would not leave Danny. Yeah, why would Steve leave Danny? If he needs to go off and, like, get some travel in or whatever, can they not go together? And it's this weird space, too, where, like, like you mentioned, you know, Lankoff is saying, oh, he's going to come back. But in a decade, like, why is he saying these intense goodbyes if he's going on a two-week vacation? You wouldn't do that either. So it's just, it's very unclear for the finale, like, how indefinite his leaving is and what his plans are. Yeah. But Peter Lankov is here to tell us what he thinks you're supposed to get out of the finale and Catherine reappearing yeah. at the end. So, yeah, they asked him, was it always the plan to bring Catherine back for the final episode so McGarrett could have hope for his future, which is an interesting framing to that question. Uh, and he says, for me, Catherine was not as complicated as other people think she is. I think she's somebody like McGarrett. She's a soldier and she's always put God and country first. It was not her choice to do some of the things that she did. Some of the things that hurt him were not things that she would have done if it wasn't something that she was asked to do. I think that she's always loved him and he's always loved her. I've always thought from the time the character was introduced that he would end up with her. It was just a matter of when. But I always thought that if you've seen William Goldman's movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, it's Butch and Sundance and Catherine Ross who played Sundance's lover at a place. That's how I see the next chapter of their life. It's McGarrett coming back with Catherine and Danny. And it's that sort of triangle, the bromance and the romance that would take them into their later years. Thoughts on that? So you and I have both seen Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, not super recently. Right. And we both had the reaction of, there was a there lady was a in the woman? <laughs> That is not something that stuck with me. The things that stuck with me from Butch and Sundance were, I have to say, Butch and Sundance and their relationship and how it's like the two of them together at the end, you know? Right. And we we did look up the the plot summary because we were like, what's this lady's role in this? And... Butch and Sundance end up together. She goes back to America. Yeah, so they are together for a little while. She's helping them with their with their train robberies or whatever. Yeah. And then they go to South America. At a certain point, she decides that they should just quit their life of crime. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I don't think I will quit my life of crime. And so she leaves and goes back to America. And then they stay together and, you know, go out Die in a place of Yeah. So it's kind of the opposite of what has happened in this Hawaii Five-0 ending where right. he leaves his guy to go off and with this woman for uncertain ends. But yeah. So it's a weird comparison, both because no one remembers the woman from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Sorry, Catherine Ross. And also they don't end up with the woman. 
right. stand up together. But I do find this to be sort of illustrative of Peter Lankov's whole vibe about the show where it's like, he's not really getting it. And I don't think he was getting Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid either. <laughs> if your takeaway from that is like, I love the dynamic between the three of them. What an interesting takeaway. And yes. then if your takeaway from Hawaii Five-0 is, I love the dynamic between Danny and Steve and Catherine. Again, what an interesting takeaway. <laughs> but the fact that he didn't get it is also a little evident from another quote we found. And he was aware that maybe the fans did not want Catherine to be endgame for Steve. So mm-hmm. he says in a in an interview, and this article is on digitalspy.com, I could have listened to the fans and not brought her back. Look, here's the thing. I know the characters best, in my opinion. I know people will say, well, I watched the show for 248 hours. I know them best. But I write them. So I know them pretty well. <laughs> classic showrunner mistake here (laughs) yeah you're not understanding the dynamic of how this works at all peter lankov i do find it to be interesting how often showrunners or writers of a show generally have this idea that like they are the end all be all answer to everything on the show when yeah sometimes that's the case like say you're writing a limited series or something and you write all the episodes and you invented the characters and you know them better than anyone sure and some shows do seem more tightly controlled yeah than others in a case like this where yes he has been on the show since the beginning which is its own is a rarity and in how like broadcast television works still we looked up like there are 240 episodes of the show Mm -hmm. he wrote 33 of them Now, I'm sure, obviously, he's reading all the episodes and watching them and, like, probably doing his own pass on some of these episodes written by other writers. But Mm -hmm. tell me how much you think Peter Lankov sits in his free time and thinks about what happened in season two of Hawaii Five-0 between these characters. Right. So that's that's the thing he says, too, right? He says the fans say, oh, I watched the show for 248 hours, which is maybe approximately the runtime of all the episodes. But I think a real fan has watched the show for much longer because they're probably rewatching episodes and talking with people about the episodes and thinking about the episodes and yeah. really digging into the character of Danny. And I don't I again, like, obviously, I don't know, I I haven't talked to every showrunner, but I don't get the impression that people who make TV go back and rewatch their own stuff constantly, because also that would be weird. Well, that's what I'm saying. (laughs) They shouldn't. A showrunner should not feel as passionately about their show as the fans do, because it's not your job. It's your freaking job to make the show, but it's a job, right? You don't go home from your job and then spend your evening going on tumblr and looking at gif sets of the actors from your show that you make because it just doesn't make any sense that's not the dynamic of people who make a tv show they shouldn't care about it the same way as the fans because they're not fans but they also i find often lack the like understanding of what it is like to be a fan of a show and you think have you never been a fan of anything in your life because why do you think that these fans don't know just as much or more about the show than you do I promise you they're putting in the work. They're thinking about it in all of their free time in a way where you are putting it out of mind as well you should be. And I think if you could just grasp the idea that like, 
fans are probably getting something out of the show that you are not. Right. And acknowledge that, like, maybe they know these characters really well. That's not to say they get to make the decisions about what happens on the show. Obviously, sure. that's not the case. But I just find it oh so interesting when a writer is like, I know them best because I write them. And it's like, well, you write one out of every 10 episodes and you immediately stop thinking about it as soon as you go home for the day. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just accept that, like, people who are fans of the show might know more about it than you think they do? I don't know if we want to say anything to wrap up our discussion with Peter Lankoff. Well, my wrap up is like, he seems like a jerk. Yeah. Just generally. Also, I guess I didn't say, I think it's very interesting that he has this whole, I know the characters better than anyone thing. And Alex O'Loughlin, who you imagine also knows the characters just as well as Peter Lankoff, if not better, since he is the character, has said the actual opposite thing of him. Like in his mind, Catherine and Steve should not be together. (laughs) That relationship has sailed. And like, why do we not give his opinion just as much weight as Peter Lankoff's opinion? Yeah. But yeah, it seems like he was aware that maybe Catherine is not where he he wanted the fans to end up. But he did it anyway, because he's obsessed with Catherine Ross from Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid or something. I don't I don't really know. Maybe. Who's to say? Okay, let's ask her a question. Okay, so is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon, in your opinion? I think I think it's queer baiting. We have that little bit of, you know, I'm talking about fanfic and it's yeah, it's a little unclear how much fans pressed him about McDano as a romantic pairing specifically, but there's just so much evidence in the show. They're written so romantically. Yeah, they're, they're married, man. It, there doesn't seem to be any attempt to maybe ramp it down once they find out that the fans are really shipping them and they don't want them to be read that way. It it just keeps ramping up. It, it's ramping around, ramping up, and then... Yeah. Just strangely undercut in the finale. So I'm I'm willing to go with queer baiting. Maddie? Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that will become even clearer when we do our gender swap test. So if we gender swap these characters, would they be a couple? I guess we always have the who are we gender swapping question. Well, one of the things I was thinking about with the the Catherine Steve dynamic is I can also see if if Steve is a woman that this like man is coming in and out of her life and that could really also play as the one who got away right as like sure. oh he's a little emo- he's he's a little emotionally unavailable and yep. he's married to his job but we have all this chemistry and da, 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 da. yeah that that dynamic definitely does make sense all right well gender swap steve and Catherine. okay and leave danny how he is i think that's actually kind of fun because then you got this cool, like, Navy SEAL lady who's in charge of task yes. force. And is she still taller than Danny? <laughs> yes. It wouldn't be that hard. I mean, Danny's still Scott Conn and he's not tall. He's, yeah, he's a tiny man. That's, that is cute. I like it. But yeah, I mean, the answer to this question has to be, yes, they would be a couple. Because did I not just list every show where a male-female cop partnership ends in romance? Right. It always happens that way. More likely than not, this is not a Stabler-Benson situation, because I think, yeah, it's going to be that whole other list of people we named. So yeah, it's clear to me, what is our, I have a hypothesis about why it's not canon, and my hypothesis is CBS. (laughs) 
And also, Peter Lankoff is obsessed with Catherine. Right. Peter Lankoff is obsessed with Catherine. I mean, it also always underlying our hypothesis about why something's not canon is just like general heteronormativity and Mm -hmm. the way that people assume characters are straight unless named otherwise. And so, I again, I always say, who's to say if the writers would even have thought of it when a show runs for 10 season and everyone's telling you that they're shipping your characters obviously you've thought of it so then at a certain point it becomes a decision but yeah i just this for this audience like i assume most of the viewers of hawaii 50 are not the people on tumblr who are writing fanfiction about mcdano i assume they're mostly whoever you imagine normally watches cbs procedurals but that said do you have any other hypotheses no, I mean, I, I think that's it. I think it's the heteronormativity and the CBS and Peter Lankoff is obsessed with Catherine for some reason. And wants All it to that. be like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in his memory of it. <laughs> what a fascinating guy. So how do we feel about this queer baiting on a scale of one to five with one being, I don't even know what the fans are talking about, and five being unrepentant, malicious queer baiting? So there's so much evidence, but we also just don't have a lot from anyone talking about it. So it's this like kind of weird space. And I think, I think emotionally I'm inclined to rate it higher just because Peter Lankoff sucks. <laughs> so. yeah. Whenever the showrunner is just like a garbage human, you always want to amp it up a little bit. <laughs> right. So I'm not sure that's like strictly speaking, like fair to this discussion, but it's certainly not a like, oh, I don't know what these fans are talking about. That's not right. But I, I don't know. It's like a three and a half, maybe. Yeah. I think I'm probably at like a four just because of the tonnage of the evidence. Like yeah. these characters could not be more married on screen. And right. so if you were watching it in a vacuum outside of the assumptions about like queer baiting and heteronormativity and all of that, like I feel like that end where somebody else shows up and they get together would be like quite the head scratcher. <laughs> Right. Especially when you spend the entire last episode about like how much he loves Danny and how he's the most important person in his life. And then. Yeah. As much as that dynamic I mentioned of, you know, if Catherine was a man and he was this emotionally aloof person, if you have the whole show with Catherine and or with a female Steve and, and Danny having that relationship and then she's you know they're living together they yeah have this i don't think we even talked about that like at, by the end of the show danny has moved in with steve just because right. he's like worried about him and so he pretends that his apartment is damaged and he needs to move in and then he ends up just staying <laughs> yeah they're living together they're going to couples retreats and then she just leaves to be with another man you would be like what is people would be throwing hands yeah that would be wild <laughs> Any movement on your affection for fan fiction this week? I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, it I, this. This was an interesting read, though. The fact that it was like basically the show, but they have sex, and I was like, "That's cool." You're like, it, it makes sense. It, it makes the show yeah. even more clear. Yeah. So it was. It was informative for you. What are we talking about next time on Let the Boys? We're talking Kiss? about my favorite thing, Star yeah. Trek. <laughs> I'm so excited. I love talking about Star Trek. The original slash ship. It's finally happening, people. And I have seen almost no Star Trek in my life. So I'm about to go on my journey to Star Trek knowledge. (laughs) And then I'll come back to you with whatever I have learned. Yeah, we'll be focusing in on the original series, Spock and Kirk. The OG, 
so much stuff around them. I'm really excited. I love Star Trek so much. I'm excited too. This is going to be great. And it's the first time we've done a thing where you get to give me a viewer guide. So I'm pretty psyched. Yes. Yeah. In the meantime, before, until we come back with that one, if you want to continue the conversation, any thoughts for us, anything we got wrong, anything we got right, any... Uh, mean things you want to say about Peter Lankov, I don't know, <laughs> reach out to us at ltbkpod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Tumblr at ltbkpod. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please do tell a friend to listen to it. We are always looking for new listeners. New episodes of the pod come out every other week at 6 p.m. Eastern, wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>